After the events of yesterday morning, the message I was preparing for today really seemed out of place, and so I've completely changed direction, and my intention in preaching to you is to fortify you in God's Word as I myself needed help yesterday and as I need God's help today. So, before going any further, let us read God's Word together. Psalm 93. These are God's words. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would bring us into the experience of this psalm, that you would not just give give us an understanding of it, but we would enter into what the psalmist saw and felt and believed. We pray this psalm would change our prayers especially our prayers of desperation. So come now, Spirit of God, and meet us and teach us and lead us. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Often you can best unpack a psalm by looking first at the center and then see how each side of the psalm supports what's going on in the middle of the psalm. So the center of this psalm is verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. This is the situation of the psalmist. And the bookends of this psalm wrap him in realities that are above and beyond these raging waters. Floods of water were a major fear in the ancient world of the Bible. Genesis opens with the stuff that would become the heavens and the earth depicted as a shapeless, roiling sea, a picture of chaos. When God judges the world, saving only Noah and his family, he uses a flood. This flood is so terrible that God promises never again to use a universal flood to judge the world. God uses a flood to overwhelm the oppressive Egyptian army chasing after Israel as they fled Pharaoh and his enslavement. 
When Jonah disobeys God's call for him to prophesy, the seas rage against the boat he flees in. In the chapter we were going to cover today, Revelation 12, the devil tries to destroy God's people with a flood. In Revelation 13, the devil's antichrist arises out of the sea. In Revelation 17, the great prostitute rides on the waves of the sea. Floods in a desert environment like Israel could be unpredictable. It might rain in the mountains beyond your view, and an hour later a torrent of water could sweep you away if you were in what became a riverbed. My father's most vivid memory, my father is about to turn 95, we talk a number of times every week, and he often is remembering experiences of his past, and I would say the most vivid memory he has told me and tells me again and again is the typhoon that his small Navy ship endured at the end of World War II. He describes the waves towering over the mast of their ship as they climbed one mass of water, crested, and then slid down the back of that wave. Waters can be terrifying. Psalm 93 is poetry. The floods are a metaphor for the overwhelming experiences of life. Your job is in the balance and layoffs are imminent. You have virtually no savings. The doctor tells you it might be cancer and they need to do a biopsy. Your mother dies. All in one week. The floods rise up to your neck. You are not sure you can continue to tread water. And here comes another wave. Verse 3 draws us into the experience of crisis. Three times it repeats, the floods, the floods, the floods. The waters continue to rise. It's loud. It's hard to hear anything above moving water. The word roaring might be better translated. The floods lift up their pounding. You are pummeled, body and soul, by the raging flood. But here's what's interesting. Even in verse 3, the psalmist doesn't just bring us into his experience. He brings us into his prayer. The floods have lifted up, O Lord! In distress, this is where we begin. We begin, we bring God into our experience. Not in a neat and tidy package, because we don't know what's going on. My life is out of control. I can hardly hear anything but the voice of the waters. I'm being pounded by the waves. Sometimes all we can do is cry out to God and articulate our experience of distress. But the psalmist doesn't stay there. And that's how we need to start with verse 3. But now we need to go and look at the rest 
to the psalm. We're going to walk through the psalm to see how the psalmist sandwiches his crisis experience in truths that transcend his experience of crisis. So number one, in verses one and two, he has confidence in God's reign. Look at verse one. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed is put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The Lord reigns. This word reigns is in a tense that says that his kingdom was established and fixed in the past. It continues to the presence and is ongoing into the future. The Lord reigns. Packed in that verb is He did reign, He is reigning, He's reigning into the future. He has always reigned over His creation. He will reign in the future. He reigns at this very moment. This is the fixed reality in your chaotic world. He is majestic in his reign. His rule is not a blind force. It's personal. It is kingly. He exercises personal control with strength. He established the world according to his unbreakable rules, which cannot change. This is more than a physical rule. He has a moral order to the world. Otherwise, the psalmist would have used the word earth instead of world in verse 1. The world is established. You, cannot, you can resist his rule. You can defy his moral order. But it is established and will not change. It's as fixed as the order of the physical universe. The reality of his control goes into the past, time out of mind. It will continue forever. It is, the psalmist says, everlasting. When the waters rise and you feel you are being swept away, when all you can hear is the sound of pounding waves, your reality is above you and beneath you. There is a power underneath the power of the water. Those are his waves. He controls them. The water is up to your neck. And he says, this high, no higher. Number two, the psalmist has confidence in God's power. Verses three and four. As we've noted, verse three repeats the word floods three times. Three times in reply, verse 4 repeats the word mighty. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. As the Cambridge biblical scholar A.F. Kirkpatrick wrote 120 years ago, his rule is not merely a fact, it is 
an act. Not merely a fact, but an act. He is active in his rule. He is mighty to save. This is how the psalmist responds to the repeated waves. The floods have overwhelmed my life, but you are mightier still. The floods are all I can hear, but you are mightier still. The floods may pound the strength out of me, but you are mightier than the waves of the sea. The Bible teaches us I want you to get this, okay? Because I I don't think we get this all the time. The Bible teaches us defiant prayer in the face of evil. We turn to the evil one. We turn to the evil situation. And we say, you may be strong. You may seem to be in charge. But my God is mightier still. The floods may pound the strength out of me but you are mightier than the waves of the sea. And you will deliver me to quiet shores. We should pray every day. Our Father in heaven. You pray every day. You begin your day, our Father in heaven, and you place your Father above the waters to begin your day. He rules the waters. And then number three, the psalmist has confidence in God's word. Verse five, your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Verse five is built on verses one through four. The Lord reigns in power over the overwhelming experiences of life, and we can expect His rule to conform to His written will. He says, your decrees are very trustworthy. Not most of the time, not usually, always trustworthy. The word decree refers to what he says is true, his testimonies. If he says it, it's final, it's true. If he says it will come to pass in the future, it will come to pass. Scripture, writes Derek Kidner, such a fine commentary on Psalms that I recommend to you. Scripture, he says, rests on the integrity of God. God has God has said you can you can evaluate whether I'm consistent or not by comparing my acts in the world to what I've said in my word. The second line of verse 5 reads Holiness befits your house. Now, of course, it's always helpful to read Psalms in other translations because sometimes they get a nuance to the line that is that brings out the intention of the psalmist better. I think the New English Bible might get the sense better. Holiness, it says 
is the beauty of your house. Holiness. That, that, that's the essence of God's character, his holiness. His holiness creates a beautiful house. He rules from a house that is perfectly appointed, a house that has all the right proportions, where everything is in its place, where he lives and what he does, how he rules, fits with who he is. He is holy. His reign is holy. His power is exercised in holiness, and the result is beautiful. Our God does not live in a factory producing cheap goods that break easily. He does good, and it lasts. He lives in a perfectly appointed eternal temple. From the vantage point of the flood, we cling to the promises of God's Word. And we realize that though we may be able, all we may be able to see at the moment is muddy water and floating trash as we await the next wave, He rules from a perfectly appointed beautiful house. A house that is beautiful to look at. A house beautiful in harmony with, of the occupants where everyone dwells together in perfect peace. He will resolve this flood and it will be beautiful. God's reign, His rule, His word are not temporary. He didn't come to an apex of His reign only to see decline like the rulers of this earth. He didn't rule for a time and then corruption and the invasion of enemies took down His kingdom. What he said and what he has done has been true. It is true. It will always be true, as the psalmist says. O Lord, forever. Yesterday, the floods lifted up their voice in the Peeler house. It was as unexpected as a flood in the Utah desert on a sunny 90-degree day. As Nancy and I and Ben and Lauren and Sarah's dad sat with her in a room in the hospital, a little tiny conference room, I kept staring at the wallpaper. It depicted a photograph of a sunset over the Chesapeake Bay. The paper was kind of faded. The room was antiseptic with furniture that is easy to disinfect. It felt so cold, so institutional, with only a lame attempt at warmth in the wallpaper. As I sat there during long periods of silence, we had no word, no word from the doctors at that point, no word of what was going on. I'm staring at the wallpaper and running through my mind were these words. The floods have lifted up their voice, O Lord. The floods 
have lifted up. The situation was overwhelming. But I believe the Spirit brought verse 3 to my mind. Because I began to think, crammed in that little room, feeling so helpless, that there is a God who is above and beyond that hospital room where we were all fighting for faith and hoping for a good outcome. We turned to a God who is above and underneath that ICU bed with all its machines. There is a Lord who reigns in majesty and rules with power. There is a king who is utterly trustworthy to fulfill his word in beauty and holiness. It was that memory of that reality that allowed us to pray with confidence. Otherwise, I just pray prayers of defeat. The floods are unpredictable, and they come to all of us. We learn to swim by remembering and fixing in our souls the one who reigns, who rules with power, the one who keeps his word, who hears our prayer, even prayers that can only say, take note, Lord, lest I drown. So this psalm leaves us with a choice. Either focus on the flood or bring the flood to the Lord in prayer and worship. See the king above the flood. Listen to his promises. The gods of this age trust in their machines and prophesy with their statistics. Now, I am not opposed to medical technology, and I think all of you would be aware of that. I thank God for medical technology. But there is a spirit that comes with medical technology that asks us to hedge our bets, to consider the percentages, and then we'll know what the outcome might be so we can protect ourselves from the worst and hope that maybe it'll turn out okay. That is an assault on our faith. We look to the everlasting God, majestic in His power, beautiful in His house, able to keep His word, the one who decrees and it comes to pass, who is in utter control of everything. So we must beware the prognostications of doctors. Our, our, our relief and hope should not be that the percentages are favorable and we should never fall into despair if they say, this doesn't look good. Because we're hanging on to the one who is above the machines, who is above 
the scholarly work and the statistics, the one who is above the human body, and he reigns, and he rules, and he will get his way. So I want you to learn to pray this way. I, I feel we can be really timid in the way we pray. But there are times where we got to cast off. You know, later this afternoon, I'm going to send you an email, and I'm going to give you a medical update on Chris. But I don't want you to start taking that email and Googling different things to see what you might be able to find on Mayo, uh, uh, mayoclinic.com uh, or whatever. Uh, Sure, you know, if you like medical things, great. But that should not inform your prayers. And right now, it's encouraging. He is alive. But we need to learn to pray. I would rather be, I would rather be put down and, and people question my boldness and my bold prayers than fail to ask God to do good and expect Him to do good. I expect Him to raise up Chris Peeler. And I want you to join me in that. And I don't want you to hedge your prayers with if, but just to pray. To pray to the one who in the flood says, okay, tell me about it. Now, let me show you myself. Let me show you my majestic reign. Let me show you my mighty power. Let me remind you of my word, which is far more trustworthy than anything that this world can tell us. So I'd like to invite you to stand and pray with me, if you would. And... I would like us together to exercise the kind of faith that this psalm teaches us. And to, I want you to, I'm going to pray and I want you to enter into my prayer. I'll pause at different points so you can add your own voice and your own words. Lord, the floods lifted up and we were overwhelmed yesterday. We had great fears of losing our brother. And you saw us. You noticed. We brought our prayers to you. Well, Lord, we bring them again to you. You are the one who revealed yourself as king, as ruler, as having all authority over heaven and earth. You are the one who rules the seas. The floods are no match for you. And so we ask, Lord that you would rule and reign in the body of Chris Peeler. We ask that you would work with a power that transcends any human ability on this earth. We ask that you would raise him up for your namesake, for your glory, for the good of his wife and children, for our good, Lord. We ask that you would come and work with power. You have shown us again and again. You've shown us again and again your willingness to do good. You showed us in Jesus walking this earth and doing miracles, raising up dead children for their parents. Well, Lord, we ask that you would raise up this dead, 
this apparently dying father for his children. And we, we, we believe you are the God of life and that you will bring life. And this will result in life and health and well-being. You are the one who taught us to ask you boldly to accomplish your purposes. And so we are asking you now boldly to do this. Lord, we will... Let us never hedge our bets with you and treat you like that. Let us treat you like a father who is not only knowledgeable, but powerful. And let us bring these bold requests to you and teach us to expect in, the, in, the, in what we know of you, in your majesty and your love, in your control and power and many promises, let us expect you to do good again in the life of our brother and his family and our church. We call out to you. We cry out to you. The floods are lifting up their voice, but we look to you above and beyond them. We trust in you. You're our hope. We renounce the gods of this age, and we ask that you would work with a power that would glorify who you are. Thank you for your grace pray. Thank you for your word that teaches us how to pray. I pray, Lord, that the attitude and posture of prayer that's revealed in this psalm would carry us through this day. And for those of us who have been timid in our prayers, I pray that you would teach us to pray boldly like the psalmist does in this prayer. I pray that you would teach us from your word to expect you to do what you decree. And we don't ask this, Lord, because faith resides in us. Oh, hardly, Lord, does faith reside in us. It resides in you. And so we put our faith in you. And we pray that you would teach us to pray with that kind of confidence based on your character. And we know, Lord, that we bring prayers in ignorance. We bring prayers. We are, uh, though forgiven, we're still sinners. And so we ask that Jesus Christ, you would take these prayers that we've prayed and you would sanctify them and lay them before the Father. And we ask, Father, that you would hear these prayers that we've brought to you through Jesus and you would answer. You would answer favorably only because you are mighty, you reign, and you keep your word in beauty. We ask on that basis. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.